Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Chai with Rye. Now, if I sound a little bit croaky or if I sound a bit weird, it is because I am just returning from a cold. It is a bit of a weird, muggy kind of weather. Like, as I look out the window right now, it is like just morbid, 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 morbid in London. And it's going around, man. And when you overwork your body, it's just bound to happen so i'm returning from a bit of a cold i'm doing all the the things like haldi ginger lemon steam everything and taking day and night nurse but you know we're at the we're at the end of it and we're gonna get better <laughs> but to all of the returning listeners as well as the new listeners i hope you're doing well thank you so much for joining me i hope you got your cup of chai ready now i'm right hello to all of you chai with Rai is my podcast and it is a show i like to call my digital jukebox of hidden gems in which i reach out to working creatives in the entertainment and fitness industry in the episodes we discuss all things from life lessons to politics to socialism culture history the digital space and of course the industry itself. Now just a little backstory of the show. Chai with Rai is a pre-recorded live show which I transfer to podcasts. So to watch any of the videos of the show simply go to YouTube and just type in Chai with Rai to find the relevant episode. You can also find all the information in the bio or the description of the podcast. Don't forget to comment, share, subscribe to the podcast. Your support really helps the show and the message of it grow. Also, make sure to follow the amazing people that are on the show and give them some love. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode, episode 21 to be exact. <laughs> I hope you got your covers ready because today we have the wonderful and magnetic Saloni Sarah. Now, Saloni is a Kathak dancer, journalist, director, producer based in London. She also photographs, so I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> I came across Saloni on the good old gram through following a dancer named Raheem Mir. Raheem is also another Kathak dancer, and I would say check him out. He also does drag and is doing some wonderful work when it comes to the South Asian queer scene in the UK. I also co-choreographed, co-choreographed, I also assistant choreographed on a movie last year called What's Love Got To Do With It? And I got to know Saloni there more. And I didn't know that she, alongside her enriching portfolio as a dancer, where she's worked with the likes of Sujata Banerjee, Academy Show Me Dance and Prague of Dance, and has performed at venues such as like Glastonbury, Buckingham Palace, British Museum, Royal Festival Hall, Wembley Stadium, just to name a few. She also, in 2019, co-directed and produced a documentary called The Saffron Republic. Now, I watched it on YouTube and I would urge you to watch it because it dives into such complex topics. It explores India's political and social state. Whilst looking at the murders of Gauri Lankesh, a reporter activist, um, Rohit Vermular, who committed suicide due to the caste system, and Asifa Bano, an eight-year-old Muslim girl who was raped and murdered in India. And it really gets you to question certain things just being South Asian and we really get into discussing topics like that, complex topics like that in in this podcast. But we also talk about the the industry in the UK when it comes to being South Asian, when it comes to being classically trained, when it comes to working in Bollywood. And we get into fun things as well. So it's not just things like that. But I hope you enjoy this and you're looking forward to the enriching and educating conversation on this topic, uh, on this topic, on this podcast. So I'm going to stop mumbling and let's get it into today's episode. I hope you guys enjoy.
Before we get you into your Child with the Right experience, are you ready? We're going to play a quick little game. Ooh, okay. Okay, okay. All right. This game is not mine. I've stolen it. I've borrowed it. And it is called the five minute rule. I'm going to name three things. Okay. You have oh, five seconds. It's five seconds. Why did I say five minutes? You have five seconds to name three things. Okay. I have five seconds to name three things. Yeah. So if I was like, name five things you could use avocado for, and I'll start counting. Okay. And fine. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready? You got this. You got this. You got this. Have you got your jar? Have you got your mind? You've got this. Okay. Cool. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question. Easy. Name three things you say when you're hungry. Uh, oh, shit. Get away from me. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit. Get away. <laughs> uh, name three animals beginning with the letter S. Uh, snake, snail, uh, serpent. You're really good at this. Serpent and snakes. Snake are the same thing. I picked all right. I mean, just go, just go with it. Just go with it. Um, name three songs that have the word. Have the word what? Pyar. Pyar kiya to darna kya. That's one. Sorry. <laughs> I could think of one. There must be so many. Well, I'm blanking. This is you're putting me on the spot. I'm. I work. I'm not good under pressure. This is I'm this is the whole point. Time. This is the whole point. Oh okay. God. Last last three. Okay. Name three things you do before you go to sleep. Uh, brush my teeth, wash my face, and brush my hair. Oh, there's a lot of brushing happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm, very, brush I'm very OCD before I go to bed. So like things have to be done in a very specific way. Like I have to organize you my clothes. I have to like make my blanket in a certain way. And my door has to be shut like three times. And my lights have to be shut in a separate way. I'm very OCD with my night. Wait, why does your door have to be shut three times? I don't know. I just have, you know how everybody has a thing? I have a thing. I have weird, weird things. And I have these weird OCDs about how things need to be. Otherwise, I can't sleep. I'll get up and shut it three times. What do you do when you're like away? Like when you're Honestly, on Honestly, when I'm away, it doesn't matter. I could be in a hotel. I could be anywhere. <laughs> and none of that comes to play. It's only when I'm in my house and I'm in my room, then all of these, suddenly all of these things are like, uh, I need things to be of a certain way. I'm very particular about things i'm weird no i think that's very interesting i just want to know about the, the, the door are you are you ready this is the last one okay, okay. Oh my gosh. name three things that you would run a campaign on as a prime minister uh dalit lives matter black lives matter and redistribution of wealth well done well done, well done, well done. And now you can relax and breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> it's a recent thing I've started doing. I was like, why not? Just yeah. make people out easy. Just... Wake people up, for sure. <laughs> it's like 7 p.m. on a weekday. Wake up! <laughs> well, cheers, 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 cheers. Cheers. What are you drinking? I'm drinking chai. I literally got my, I got you... my um, father to make me um, a drug chai. But how are you? How is your week? How's your day to day been? It's been okay. Um, it's been slow, yes. difficult. Um, there's not much work. So there's just a lot of applying for work. But mm. not many people want to hire you for work because they can barely keep the people they already have forget about bringing new people. Um, yeah. And so yeah, it's just been a lot of trying to not sit in one spot all day. Yeah. And some days it works and some days it doesn't work.
So it's just about, I think right now it's keeping your head above water. Things are opening, so there's a lot of excitement to be out and about, but then there's a lot of anxiety to be out and about as well, because um, it's almost like this weird obligation to suddenly meet people and book all these things. But it's like, well, what if, yeah. what if I want to just be at home on a Saturday? Is that, is that so bad? Yeah. I think. Firstly, can I just say, before we get into everything, one week to research on Indian politics is not enough. <laughs> And whilst feeling depressed just about life is not enough. Like, I, I, politics in general just amazes me, but the amount of research that is involved yeah. is just a lot. From I like... Mean, yeah. Most like, people have barely even scratched the... Nikki, uh, most people have barely even scratched the surface. I, you, you ask me questions and honestly, I'll try my best to answer them, but I'm also... I don't know much, you know, I, I know what I've yeah. learned and I know what I learn on a passive basis on daily research on just keeping up with the news, but there's so much to it because so much of Indian politics is influenced by the history of Indian politics. And if you're not well tuned with the history of it, then it's very difficult to have a educated grasp on the current aspect of it on the current perspective. Yeah. Of it. So much of what's happening now is a reflection of what, happened or what should have happened and a lot of people's opinion on what's happening on in India especially politically has a lot to do with their anger of how things have gone in the past or you know years and years of caste struggles and discrimination against certain groups which is so so ingrained that you yeah. can't just humiliate someone for not agreeing with you which is something I've learned. I think it's this interesting two things that I learned from doing this research is I think the mentality of what the parties run on and how engraved they are with religion. When I was mm -hmm. doing like queer work and working with LGBTQ plus charities, the one thing that we get taught always is you can never argue with somebody who's on the basis of religion. Mm -hmm. And I found it difficult because I was trying to educate myself on the caste systems that were there and like the parties that use caste system as a basis of protagonizing their campaigns or just doing certain things and I was I was just astonished I was like how can you talk politics of facts when it's so engraved in everything yeah but we digress and we're going to politics in a bit but we'll talk about your dance career oh my favorite <laughs> your favorite okay we're gonna do this very quickly I am very much interested in three productions that you have done. One is Kattam Kati. Kattam Kati. Kattam Kati. Hanti. Hanti. Okay, cool. Well, I've mispronounced so many things <laughs> already then. Kattam Kati. Um, the reinterpretation of Swan Lake and Glastonbury. Okay. I feel Kattam Kati is very close to you because it deals with a lot of things in terms of politics, like cast and things like that, and how the usage of kites was done. Hmm. Well, I only watched behind the scenes video and I tried to get the actual footage, but I just couldn't find it right now. It's, and it's still in, it's a, it's a production in the works. So got the it. official premiere has not yet happened. Swan Lake, because it's Swan Lake, how was it to do something that's so popular and like reinterpret it? And Glastonbury, like is, Kathak appreciated at Glastonbury or are people just high as F or are you high as F when you're performing and you're just like oh yeah life is great 
<laughs> Honestly, Glastonbury was okay. Which one do you want me to start with? You start with whichever one. So those are the three ones. Okay, I'll start with Katum Kati. So a little bit of context on the show. It is um, a production that is being choreographed and directed by Urja Thakur, who's a Kathak dancer and choreographer based in the UK. And this piece has been in the works since like 2018. Yeah. Um, and it would have premiered and we would have been on tour by now, but as you know, COVID. But it is a very, very interesting piece. And it's probably one of my favorite uh, productions that I'm, I'm a part of. Um, not only is it physically extremely demanding, literally, I'm still, I'm nervous to go back to rehearsals because I just feel like over lockdown, I've lost so much fitness that I'm going to oh stand up on day one of rehearsals and just not be able to even get to the end of the piece because it's such a physically demanding piece, which is something that people underestimate, A, about Gathak and about classical dance forms, about how grueling they can be, but also just so nice to have a challenge as a dancer, you know, something to work towards. Um, the piece is interesting because it deals with uh, the festival of Uttarayan, and that is a harvest festival, and Uttarayan specifically is the festival of kites. Um, uh -huh. and it takes place in uh, Rajasthan, in Gujarat, and you'll see um, usually in the month of January, all these terraces in India, and they're filled and scattered with little kids, um, adults, siblings, families, friends, everybody of all ages, and everybody is flying kites. So you just look up to the sky and you'll just see a rainbow of kites. And there's a game of, um, because the kite string has glass in it. So it's also yeah. very dangerous. Has it not been banned? Because I used to do that in Pakistan, but it got banned because lots think, of people got I ill think from it. it, is, and like... it, must, it must be banned in some places, but in, in, in many, many parts of India, it's too integral a festival <laughs> for it to be banned. I think there are definite, <laughs> safety measures that have been probably taken up but are you talking about the tape <laughs> yeah the tape and everything you'll see like a lot of people um and we deal with this in the show that yeah dependent on what level you're at in life it also shows what level you are physically whether you're on a terrace right. whether you're on on the ground floor because if you're on a terrace you're away from the glass strings you're not going to be injured but if yeah. you cut something if you cut a kite and the string goes down and someone's chasing it and the string's flying and you're walking along the street or you're riding a bike on the street so many people have been so badly injured because this string will just come out of its bit it's practically invisible and it will come out of nowhere and it can just cut you and it's really really dangerous so yeah. it's a very fun festival but it's also a very dangerous festival so that it's a it's a, it's a, it's a love-hate kind of relationship but it deals with a lot of social hierarchy and that's yeah. what the um Pieces sort of delves into so it's very very interesting but it's um a lot of fun and it's one of the Love first it. pieces i've been in which brings in the musicians mm. and the musicians aren't just sort of sat and real kudos to Urjaji for for doing this is not um allowing the musicians to just sit in one place in the corners they're getting yeah. up they're acting with us you know oh, that's so much fun and so they're playing their instruments which is incredibly to be able to play the bansuri and walk around and or you know just participate and not one person is there for show everybody has a character everybody has a role everybody is there for a reason and it's just such a beautiful show and it's such a shame that it hasn't been on stage yet because it deserves to be and i'm really looking forward to our when do you guys go back uh october and okay. ideally um fingers crossed there are some dates that are coming in from yeah. next autumn on to spring 2022, we potentially have a tour. Everybody come watch us. 
So that's okay. Swan Lake quickly and then Glastonbury. Swan Lake, I was a very, very small part of Swan Lake. Swan Lake was this incredible yes. production that was choreographed by Sujata Banerjee, who's um, my guru, my teacher in the UK. And um, she had this vision. Every year she does this festival called Hemantika. She had this vision that she wants to make a Kathak Swan Lake. And it was, yeah, Raheem was there. Raheem was in it. Um, Raheem was in it. What was, Raheem, what was, was Raheem? Raheem was, I think, Raheem and I were both um, one of the court dancers, you know? Oh, right. in, in the court scenes we were dancing. Um, and I was also one of the little swans. Um, and it was a beautiful production. The way that she, she got, um, and Shami Patia, who's a musician, sort of mm -hmm. also brought the music in together, how they combined the original score of Swan Lake and they added Kathak elements just whether it's Basri or whether it's Kathak balls the Badhant and how they added different different bits it was just such an interesting experience um because you're using you're you're listening to the original Swan Lake music and you're doing chakras and and raz and pihais and it's just it was really um a revolutionary thought um but that's What's Sujata Ji? She's very revolutionary in some ways. So that was one lake. And Glastonbury. Yeah. Glastonbury <laughs> was a very interesting experience. You're right. A lot, most people watching were very, very high. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably why they loved it. Because um, we performed after uh, the main act. So the main act finished. Beyonce. Our... Beyonce finished and then Beyonce you go on the And I was like, <laughs> I'll take so... over. <laughs> <laughs> our my, our slot was actually at like 12 31 a.m we were in like so Gatsby is separated into little sections right so we yeah. were in this one section which was like a very very hippie section of the festival um and it was like this in this tent with all these fairy lights and everybody that sort of like rocked up to the tent was um stoned out of their minds and i was in this gorgeous red outfit and um we had uh, the musician who's who i was dancing for his name is Roman yeah he and i had i'm gonna see if i can pull something keep telling he had he and i had created this music video called riaz and yes I, and so that sort of that performance was a live version of that music video and that music video had um my balls in it and the is way that similar that we, to this outfit it's exactly that outfit yeah it's exactly that outfit um and he that the music was created was very fun. He sort of used modern beats and combined my balls and there was a lot of like looping. And so we did that live. So I would um, traditionally in a Kathak performance, uh, you would have the dancer come to the mic, introduce their piece, uh, and then they would say the tukra and then they would come on stage and the musicians would play it. There would be someone sitting there doing the panat and you would dance each tukra and it would be very methodical. So this was a play on that where I would come to the mic, I would speak the tukra with the beats behind me. It would then be looped and oh, wow. the modern music would be played and I was dancing. And I just remember speaking these balls, which in a, in a way is like a rap. And everybody would be in the audience is like quite sleepy, they're watching and I'm just, and I come to the mic and I start and I'm like, and I'm vibing and I can just see people going. <laughs> <laughs> cool cool and then they just start because it's so much fun when you yeah. really like allow yourself to be open-minded about kathak balls and tabla it's really really interesting and um then i start dancing and obviously 
the Kathak spin, the dress, it's a, it's forever been a crowd pleaser. So I start yeah. spinning and everybody loses their mind. And except one person who fell asleep right in front of the stage. He was watching, he was like, cool, cool. And then he lay down and there was a section where I sat down and I'm doing, I'm dancing and I look straight ahead and he's just passed out in front of me. And I was like, Glastonbury, okay, okay. This is cool, this is cool. It was fun though, it was an experience. Never have I ever gotten ready uh, done a full hair, makeup, gajra, tikka, everything in a tent with a phone light, phone torch as a light. Yeah. And then like a tiny mirror and trying to like get dressed and do my hair and everything was unforgettable experience. Did you catch a buzz as well by any chance of it? Uh, no. Whilst you were performing. I'm, I'm, I'm a very sensible girl. But you've never performed high or drunk or any oh, under never, the influence? No, no, never. Wow. Never. Wow. No. I would never. I, I respect my form too much to do that. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll ask you in five years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, because classical ballet I should dancers... ask you that question, Raimu. Have oh, you I ever have. Done... Oh. I have. When have I done it sober? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I have, to be honest with you. Because I think, like, sometimes it happens all the time. And, like, the industry is made for it, especially when you're backstage. Alcohol is there when you go perform at venues and things like that. And sometimes like, yeah, it's just it's different. I think I think in the classical world, it's a little bit, to be honest, um, I, I, there are many stories of classical musicians. Yeah. Especially in the olden days, you know, um, the reason so many, in ancient times, people were able to sit for hours and hours and hours and hit those notes and do these elapses because they were high. They were, they yeah. were smoking a theme and then they would sing. And the methods would be created like that. Um, but no, no. No, no, she's a good <laughs> the girl. The dance is too hard to be done in any other way, but like full attention. So. I understand. That is true. I don't know how you would do like chukkas and like all those peres if you were you just can't. like... I'd, I'd, be like... <laughs> I'd be too dizzy. I couldn't do it. And where do you store all your costumes, by the way? Is there a costume wardrobe in your house? I have two suitcases in the back of my room where everything is... Oh, do you? And whenever as a performance, I zip open the suitcase and I sit, I have them open in my bed and I'm like, what today? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, I, my costume suitcases are like my favorite things. They're definitely not kept as well as they should be kept, but that's something to watch. Kathak in my life is, um, wow, it's an intense question. I think... What? I am who I am because of it. It has shaped me in many ways. Um, Kathak has brought me very close to my culture um, and not in, not in a, wow, I love, I love my culture. I love the food. I love the colors kind of way, but in a way that yeah. genuinely taught me how to learn about the history, about um, the traditions, about different aspects, which of just history that was, at one point, very, very, very progressive. Like when we talk about mythology and you read the original stories, I, li I like to refer to mythology as stories because I'm not the most religious person. So for me, they are stories and they are mm -hmm. characters. Um, but for me, those characters and those stories are so, 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 so progressive. And I feel like with time and with those who have told the stories, men, Brahmin men, um, those stories have become very, very male centric. And the progressive nature of those stories has been tainted a little bit and and the way that we tell those stories really affects what those stories were and for me Kathak at every stage of my life has meant something very very different so when I first started it was just 
love for dance. Um, when I got more into it, it was, yeah. it was, wow, I didn't know I could move like this. It's so beautiful. I love being graceful. Then I started learning more about it. I started training with Sujatha Ji. I understood the rhythm behind it. And I went, wow, I'm a musician. I can do this. I understand rhythm. I'm, I'm, I'm able, I used to sit there and I used to hear beats. And I remember sitting so many times with my brother and we'd be listening to just a normal Bollywood song. And I'd be like, okay, how many, like what time cycle is this in? What time cycle is this in? Because I'd be testing myself and I'd want, and I'd be excited to learn from him and teach him and learn myself. Right. And then, um, I started studying it. Now it's gotten to a phase where Kathak just isn't just about the aesthetic and the beats and the music, but it's about the stories and the history and, and the dances that used to exist and who they represent. You know, Kathak dancers at one time used to be courtesans. Those courtesans uh, became prostitutes, but often people forget that before courtesans were sex workers, they were just artists. Yeah, you mentioned this was mentioned in the South Asian thing with I think one of your fellow people was mm. an, also in Kathak Danta and it talked about how she found and you guys have found sensuality and sexuality and these women were highly educated. Yes. They were extremely intellectual Not women and they, they were women that did their femininity and their sexuality in in ways that got quietened for some reason. Well, not for some reason, for very obvious reasons. But back then, femininity and sexuality was celebrated through dance, through art, through music. And, and then with time and with um, the culture of subservient, subservience in women and patriarchy, that kind of freedom and sexuality was, was dampened. And I feel yeah. like nowadays with, with the rise of research, knowledge, the, the queer community, and just people going back and actually going, no, I want to retell these stories. I want to tell them right. I want to tell mythology right. I want to tell the stories of Gothic dancers right. I want to dance in a way that, because if you, if you look at Gothic dancers many, many years ago, it wasn't necessarily that aesthetic. You know, yeah. now you look at a Gothic dancer and there's a certain technique to it and everything has to be of a certain style and of a certain stance and of a certain way. But back then, it wasn't like that. It was much, much more free. Do you think that's to do, I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Oh my God. No, no, go ahead. But do you think that's to do with the fact that it has become institutionalized? Like it's almost like a certification. There's theory involved in it. There's education yeah. involved with it. Whereas before, like a lot of folk dancing and things like that, it just was, dare I say, part of the culture? No, it really, really, um, you're completely right. It, that was That's exactly what it was. And um, now it has been institutionalized. There are houses those houses have styles that want to be replicated and often it it's very dependent on who you learn from like i'm very grateful to have learned from my my also my group gori shamatrapati who's based in mumbai who's always taught us that you know dance for your own body don't dance to replicate somebody else's style like make kathak your own so if you have long arms stretch them yeah. you have long arms you know if you're tall move like bend Go, be free. Don't hide yourself. Don't try and not be sexy. Don't try and not enjoy yourself because you have to match. You have to be like a clone of a Kathak dancer that you want to be like, no? So we often view classical dance as something that needs to be uniform, but it never was. That's not how it began. And that's not how I want to continue it. 
you know, for me. And that's, that's where Kathak is in my life today, that it's changed, yeah. but you have to go through that process of change for you to get to a point where you feel comfortable in the form enough to be like, actually, I'm going to make it my own. Because yeah. it's such an intimidating form, it's such an intimidating world, the classical world, that you don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> Um, but it takes you being afraid, being humble, like following, learning, like you have to learn the form before you question it, you know? And so I don't think I've learned the form. I'm nowhere even near. I've just scratched the surface, but I feel comfortable enough in it to turn around and go, you know what? I'm going to focus on this part. And you know what? I like the way I do this. So I'm going to keep doing it like this. And yeah. I'm going to take the best parts of everyone I admire and make it my own. Um, and I'm going to make dance my own. I'm not going to follow like what this person tells me to do, what that person tells me to do. Like just because I'm a Kathak dancer doesn't mean I can't do any other dance form. Like we were talking about this um, on, on set when we were together that oh, yeah. Kathak, dan Kathak <clears throat> and classical dance has been such an exclusive dance form and it doesn't have to be. You know, dancers can be who they want to be. If you're a Kathak dancer, it doesn't mean you're only a Kathak dancer because yeah. God forbid you touch something else. No, no, you do whatever <laughs> you want. Like, just have fun. It's, at the end of the day, it's dance. And that's how everybody viewed it, right? Dance is a form of freedom. It's a form of expression. So dance yeah. if you want to dance. I had a dancer from Canada actually, and we were talking about Bharatanatyam and Odyssey and all of these styles. Why is there that there's certain colorism attached to certain forms of classical dancing? That's me coming from an outside perspective. And people who are lighter skinned do Kathak. Um, and I have always felt there's this sort of like battle over the fluidity and the harshness of it. And two, in terms of training styles for it, like, how does one get over the stigma of just wanting to do it as a style when you're talking about, like, how it's progressed and how certain social norms have demeaned classical dancing? And B, it's very expensive to, like, learn it. So, like, I remember back in the day, all I wanted to do was just go to a couple of dance classes and just learn it. But when I found out the fees, I was like, I can't even begin to. And then I found out now you have to do theory in order to like be able to do anything and then like the whole kunguru aspect like your master has to give your um guru has to give you them but then people are now buying buying these like play kungurus the strap ones and now you know if you've done bollywood you do kathak or if you've you've done an mm. intensive so, like there's a lot of questions there but yeah they, okay, these sort of like You've tapped on a lot there. Like there's, there's quite a few, there's quite a <laughs> that's few. That's why I said, that's why I said, 8.30, hate the fact you have to go. There's, there's quite a lot in there. So I think I'll pick, I'll pick what I know and what I feel like I can yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. speak about. Firstly, um, skin color and dance form. Kathak, Bharatanatyam, Bharatanatyam is a South Indian dance form. Kathak is a North Indian dance form. A lot of the time, a lot, a lot of, uh, Dancers who join these classical dance forms often join at quite a young age where mm -hmm. you're not really exposed. The dancer itself themselves is not exposed to the form. It's their family or their parents or whoever enrolls them in the class in the first place. And that often comes from the parents' exposure to the dance form. Now, if you've grown up in a South Indian community, the chances are you're going to be a lot more exposed to Bharatanatyam because it's a South Indian dance form, um, which, is which has its base in Carnatic music, which is a South Indian art form. Um, so the chances are you're going to do that. 
if you're from North India, the chances are you're going to be more familiar with Kathak, um, which is why most people either go into Bharatanatyam or Kathak, and then there are things like Kuchipuri, Manipuri, Odyssey, which are so untouched, even though there's like, I always say that if I could pick today, I'd go, I'd, I wish I was an Odyssey dancer. It's my favorite dance form, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, you know, when I was growing up, um, I was, I, I loved dance. So my mom put me in, in, in Bollywood dance classes and she put me in Kathak dance classes because she was like, okay, my daughter has to learn a classical dance form because that's good for her. And I know about Kathak, so I'm going to put her in Kathak. I was put in Bharatanatyam classes for a short while, but I preferred Kathak, but that was just a personal choice. But as a community, a lot of people are more well-versed in Kathak than they are in Bharatanatyam because I'm from North India. Then it, that's just something I was thrown into and then I grew to love. A lot of people who join uh, classical forms don't join them at six years old, seven years old because they love them then. They're, they're, they're put into it to learn discipline because, you know, learning a classical dance form, which is also to touch upon the theory, the expense of it, the gurus, the everything that comes with the form. It's not easy, um, which is why to go to, to learn a classical dance form, you can't just like turn up to a couple classes. Like it's something that takes a lot of training and it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of dedication. So I didn't get remotely okay at the form for a very very long time because I wasn't dedicated only mm. until I understood why the theory is important did I actually start to respect the form because I used to hate theory I used to be like I just want to dance <laughs> but then through and like I have to thank Sujataji my teacher for this who yeah. taught me the importance of the theory and how there is no dance without the theory In the same way there is no uh, music without notes and, and beats and things to follow the same way Kathak and, and Bharatanatyam is nothing without its rhythmic cycles because at the end of the day it isn't just dance mm -hmm. you know there's a lot to it and which is why there is so much discipline required and which is why there is so much um, dedication and maybe yeah it is an expensive dance form um, but probably why there's so much expense required I wasn't given my gurus by my teachers or my masters or my gurus yeah. and bought them myself. I don't think that Kathak dancers should be wearing the Velcro play ones. Nope. I think like, yeah. those are Bharatanatyam gurus and Kathak ones are the ones on the string. And like, that's something that you have to learn about. You have to do your own research and you have to be like, okay, what are the right gurus for the form I'm learning? And you have to do it. Like, if you're going to learn the form, do it right. You know, yeah. if you're going to learn the form, the form comes with so much history respect that form and you go into it with that same dedication unless you want to that's why that's why so many like things like semi-classical classes exist because people enjoy the the grace of Kathak um but don't want to do the classical training that comes how do you it. feel about that though because I think there's a diluted versions when some dancers are so like in it yeah. like they're so pure um that it's almost sometimes like so I I love um semi-classical I think it's a beautiful way to dance I think yeah. it's essentially just a more graceful Bollywood what I don't like is when people will and I've seen it a lot on Instagram with the rise of Instagram dance uh, is when people will do a mildly graceful dance and I mean this yeah and they'll do like <laughs> a little bit of this and a little bit of this and then yeah. they'll label it Kata. Yeah. Because what they're doing is diluting an entire art form, which, ha which 
to be honest, to learn and to get any kind of grasp on requires a lot of knowledge. Like I said, without the theory, there is no kathak. You know, without understanding what are the beats behind why you're doing what, there is no kathak. Like we hear, but we hear balls and kathak balls in these Bollywood songs, and it's beautiful. But unless you understand what is being said, what is the beat, like then how can you just label it kathak? You can't, you know, everything yeah. comes, everything comes with like, everything comes with a lot of trainings. At the same time, at the same yeah. time there's, a, there's always the flip side, you know, there's things I yeah. don't like in that and there's things that I don't like in this. And at the same time, there's um, a lot of classical dancers who are very, very, you know, experimental, all theorized, like yeah. very pure and, and, you know, good, good for them. And like every, anything that makes you feel closer to your form, but um I don't feel like there should be judgment for from one purist to someone who likes to dance any other ways. I just think you need to label your you label your forms right. So you know, dance whatever you like, be free, do whatever you like. Just don't muddle names. I think because every form has its own respect and every form has its own history and training. So as long as you're not diluting one. By doing yeah. something like quite mediocre, you're fine. Yeah. So like if do I do a classic, if I do a semi-classical dance, I'll probably just call it Bollywood. I yeah. won't turn around and be like, oh, this is Kathak. Like, no. Do you know one thing I would love? And if there is classical community in this soul sphere that you're bringing to, or you have connections, it's one thing I've always wanted. And it exists to a certain capacity in the form of semi-classical. And who is it that teaches that Elephant and Castle in one of the studios? There's, is it Show Me or is it one of the girls from Academy that teaches? Oh my God. Elephant and Castle. Yeah, there's a, there's a classical course this lady does. I can't remember her name. But anyway, what I digress. What I would love is there's a thing called Horton Technique. And it's beautiful. And what it is, it's, it's a very, um, it's associated, I would say. It's, it's the dancers. One of the guys I know, he's in charge of Lion King. He's, a, he's one of the principal dancers for Lion King. And there's certain Alvin Ailey jazz sort of element to it. But also with the music, it's very much like black influenced. And I would love and it has like ballet and contemporary disciplines in it. And I would love some sort of like a contemporary classical version of it. That's not lyrical, like, so you think you can dance or like, that's not semi-classical, but that's rooted in technique. And that is a drop-in class for like the South Asians and is taught at like dance works or pineapple and something like that. Maybe somebody like an Urja who experiments, I feel like Honestly, with- I think that you've hit the nail on the head. I think she would be perfect for it because even even a lot of the Kattam Kati choreography, it's pure Kathak. Yeah. Like everything, all of our, our entire language in the, in, the, in the dance is Kathak, but the way she's representing it is very contemporary. So yeah. a traditional Kathak performance, like I said, is a, it's a soloist form. So you'll have one solo dancer, musicians, a tukra, then you dance a tukra, then it's, it's very like routine. But just, for example, we're not wearing bells. We're not wearing the traditional costume. Its form is abstract. It flits in and out of, you know, the, the tradition. And it's very, very contemporary in its form. And it's very physically grueling. Um, so something like that requires a base level of training and a base level of technique. But it would be so brilliant for so many professional dancers to be able to just come and learn a yeah. 
you know, like a like one masterclass in. I so agree. In in the language of Kathak, so yeah, you're great. you're not, you know, starting your journey, <laughs> but you're you're touching into the lang what the language is and you know the movement style. Okay. Uh, have I ever thought about stopping dancing? Yeah, I thought about it yesterday. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, because Sorry. it's really difficult right now. But um, no, I digress. It's um, it's tough. So yeah, there are moments where I think this is really difficult. Is it worth it? This is really difficult. Is it worth it? Am I going to be able to live a sustainable life? Am I? Is this viable economically? It, um, can I do it? I don't think I don't think it is viable economically, especially right now, which is why I'm on a hunt for part-time jobs and jobs in general, um, because it is not something that you can sustain a life on right now. Could you teach? I mean, like I went into teaching out of wanting to survive. Otherwise, it was waitressing tables and hosting and doing like random things. I could teach. I could teach. I do think teaching is a gigantic responsibility, and I think that. If you yourself are not in love with teaching and passing on knowledge, then it could be very, very detrimental to a young child who is potentially the the world's next best dancer, and you could be the reason why they're not because you didn't bring to them the form in the right way. I am the dancer I am because of my teachers and the influence they had on me. And so I feel like that's not a responsibility I'm ready for.、Um, so I take teaching very seriously. So it's not something I just want to. Very、do. interesting. There's so many people out here who'll be like doing covers and teaching workshops and shit like that. Not hating. Teaching, teaching is one thing, but teaching kathak and teaching a classical form is another. Like if, if、yeah. you're going to be teaching kathak, there's a there's a journey with that. You don't just teach for a bit and stop. You know, you 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 bring someone on that journey and you take them through it. And so that's a commitment. It's a, it's a. You could do、commitment. Bollywood classes. You could do semi classical. You could do brides dances, first couples dances. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Things like that. I don't know. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah, totally. Joy, how many Bollywood companies out here would love to have you? You know, <laughs> honestly, I, I I live in I live in a permanent identity crisis with my dancing. Like, yeah, I, who am I? What am I dancing? What am I doing? I so you know, you never know. Talk to me in two years. Maybe I'm suddenly part of a Bollywood dancer. Don't go into a Bollywood company. <laughs> I, I'm joking. Or if you do, I, join、I'll... mine. Join mine. <laughs> no, don't. I don't even have one. I'm not associated with one. Like, I'm a I'm a freelancer at the end of the day. So I don't know. Like, let's see.、Uh, regarding that, what happens? But. Okay, so that was that. Then, what what is my earliest memory of the art form? My earliest memory of Kathak. I think my <laughs> earliest memory of Kathak is honestly the classes that I was put in, where as、yeah. a five six year old, and、um, this one particular memory that always comes to mind, where I'm like six years old and I'm in this Kathak class and I'm learning, and it's it was in this、um, community hall called Sangam. And、um, I'm standing there like tiny, and I'm learning this one step, and I just have to. To the way she described it was, reach up to the sky, pick a star, put it in your lap. Pick a star, <laughs> put it in your lap. Pick a star, put it in your lap. And I enjoyed doing that so much that it stuck with me. Like this one memory of me just standing there, going, pick a star, put it in my lap. Pick a star, put it in my lap. Pick a star, put it in my lap. Which eventually translates into this. Yeah. But, As a, as a six-year-old, like just the the story behind it, I love it. So that's my earliest memory of Kathak. 
And what was at the what, last question? At what point did you decide this was like, this was the career that I was going to do? Like you, you do journalism, you do directing, producing, and then, you know, you do photography as well, for those who don't know. You dabble in photography. Yeah. You also do singing because you did some poor work. Sing. And it's like rap. I'm not, I'm not a singer. I'm a really bad singer. I'm Listen, I know a lot of Kathak dancers that firstly, you guys have to sing your balls, right? We, and like, I know like, singing is the right word. We say our balls. Yeah, but it's, it's still in a tune. Yeah, but I'm a bad singer. Well, we'll we'll get to that. No, there's a, if you make there's me sing, a, I, there's I'll a, leave early. <laughs> no, you promised 6.30. Come on. Okay, don't fine. do this to me. Okay. I, I'm not singing. <laughs> I'm not singing. Okay, so she I'm does, about to, she okay. raps. I, yeah, I rap. Got the balls. That's a good way to put it. Um, okay, fine. The, the, the moment I realized I wanted to become a Kathak dancer. I think the I think the moment I realized that I don't even know when this is. I think um, my teacher Gorgi, when she was in the UK, um, is a resident artist at the South Bank Centre, and every year there used to be this festival called Alchemy. And Al I can I just say we have crossed paths so many times in Alchemy. I used to come to South Bank Centre like there was no point, and I would watch you guys perform all the time without knowing you. Then we have met at the B Funk workshop, and I don't even know we did oh, that until I saw you. I oh, had a very harsh beard and I had a hat. Then we have crossed paths at Bombay Fun Funkadelics like nights. No. And I was like, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> So we have cross paths without we have definitely we, cross like... paths. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> but, but go, yeah, sorry. Think, no, I think, yeah, just in those annual festivals, yeah. watching um, Gorgi perform, watching the senior girls perform, there was a brilliant, brilliant show. Uh, two senior dancers in, in the ARC company, uh, Seema and Bile, both did their Rangmant Pradesh, which is essentially... Um, the Kathak version of a Bharatanatyam Arangetram. It's like your... Oh, thank you so much for explaining that. <laughs> like, dumb it down. It's like you? a finishing thing. Um, yeah. But they, because it's Gorji and she is so, like, forward-thinking and abstract, she did their Rangmanch Pravish as a duet. And she made it so beautiful that it was like... Yeah. Uh, there was this whole section. I remember it so clearly. There was a whole section where they were, there was a sheer curtain in between them. And they were sitting on either side. And they were tying their gungus on their feet on stage... And in the background was this um, a voiceover of each of them talking about how each of them got into Kathak as young wow. girls, um, as young girls studying in Wembley. <coughs> and just their story of that playing. And then they went into this um, duet piece of a song by uh, Neeraj, Neeraj Chug, who's an amazing musician. And, and the song is Allahu. And they did it, and they were wearing this coat. And I, I still remember that duet. I saw that. I remember this duet, and that I watched it, and I was like, I want to do that. I just remember <laughs> sitting on this seat, being like, I, I want to be on stage. I want to do that. I want to do that. I really want to do that. And then from then, I would just grasp any opportunity. Like anytime Gorgi needed a dancer to do this, it would be like, me, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. Um, and then I remember. Just so many performances came off, off the back of that and learning how to be on stage, getting like the feeling of being on stage, just everything about it. But that I think was my one moment where I looked at them and I went, that, I want that. I want that. That's that. that. I want that. <laughs>
Saffron Republic. You co-directed and produced it with Surya uh, Ilango. She's a BBC journalist, yes. I have watched it probably 10 times. And you even had Gori Lankesh's daughter. And these are the, my three favorite sister, quotes sister. from the movie. Her sister, okay. Who quoted, and I'm paraphrasing this, in regards to the activism and how she spoke to dilute it. And do you have to? This is this I'm actually quoting. She says, do you have to? And the two other things that stood out to me was the JNU activists, one of them says, don't do not rally when they are alive they're dead rally when they are alive i found that really profounding and then the last five minutes of it i can't remember the gentleman who says this but he says in regards to modi he is not my prime minister of hindus of sikhs christians or muslim he doesn't speak my language it's the lawyer he's the lawyer yeah explain to me why you made this movie and why you decided to do it especially in 2019 off elections when he got re-elected how was the production of it behind the scenes post-productions the challenges of it because like I think like discussing politics and now looking at the chain and the whole Hindutva sort of situation of it yeah now I'm just gonna give it to you we have 15 minutes to talk about it 10 10 let's do it uh okay uh well from the beginning the film was born in a very, very unplanned way. So okay. Surya and I <coughs> knew each other for a very, very long time. Um, we knew each other when we were like 13, 14 years old. We went on like a camp together. And I had just graduated from university. I'd done journalism as my bachelor's degree. And my dissertation was on the Nirbhaya rape case that happened and the media representation of that rape case. Um, yeah. And I was very, very interested in making a documentary. I, I graduated and I wanted to make a film. Um, I, I then crossed paths with Surya. We went for lunch one day and we got to talking and she also wanted to make a film. And I was and she specifically wanted to make a film about Nirbhaya. And it was like a Nirbhaya then and now and sort of like what's changed about um, sexual assault and rape culture in India. And I was like, let me do this with you, please. I've written this dissertation. I've spent months and months researching this and I can, I can be really valuable. And she, she, was, um, she is a, a journalist in BBC Radio um, yeah. working in Sheffield. <clears throat> and she is honestly such a gem of a journalist. She's really open-minded and really uh, wonderful to work with. And so... We started, we started our journey on making a film about that. Cut to September 2018, pretty sure it was September 2018, uh, Gauri Lankesh is murdered. Uh, and this is all over the news. And this is something we both heard of. Now, by this point, I am not well versed in Indian politics at all. I don't have a history of knowing anything about it. It was always this like big, wide, very intimidating unknown world to me that I didn't know anything about. Um, I heard about Gauri Lankesh and Surya and I started reading into it and we started reading a lot about it and thinking, oh my God, like, what is this that's happened? What is this that's happened? And then we go, okay, you know what? No, we're going to make a film about this. We're going to make a film about this. And what started with a film about Gauri Lankesh, when you begin to unpack 
the box and when you begin to peel the onion becomes a very very scary large difficult to comprehend impossible to wrap your head around concept and thank god <clears throat> we had so much help my father is very well versed in indian politics and he was such a guiding light for me in understanding history i have a lot of friends who are very well versed in indian politics who are journalists in their own right in india who helped me and who guided me through it and you know who gave me the right uh publications to go to the the right places to go look at everything and it was a few months of a lot of information in at once you know and and trying to understand it all and i remember at one and we had this brilliant research team um of three girls academics from soas university and we sort of hired them as researchers for the film to help us because we needed someone who knew more than us to 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 take everything that we were going and go no this 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 you know because at the end of the day i still i still do believe that the film we made is quite one sided um but there is a reason mm -hmm. for that because i feel like there's already enough information about the other side but you are you talking about in terms of like the media like cnn ibc and all of the other media publications yeah no no it's not yeah. just like that but in general like the amount of propaganda that comes out for the right wing in india like there's enough yeah you know so it for me it's like well it's, like big deal if it's a bit one sided like hear the other side listen to it you don't hear enough of it um it's not in the mainstream enough at least at that time and so we gathered <coughs> all this information all of these case studies and we were sat there for months lost i remember we decided we're going to make this film and we just flew to india we decided in september in january first week surya and i are in india we land in mumbai and we start like hounding down twitter journalists etc etc with like this very basic list of questions going okay we're going to interview this person we're going to interview that like by the first week, we were <coughs> we were burnt out because we were like mm -hmm. it was actually learning on the job and so we start like picking up on the information we start learning as we're going and as with each interview as we're learning we're going okay shit like this is way bigger we come back we have all this footage we have all this information we sit down with our researchers and we go right how are we going to do this This is when I say to anybody who wants to make a film, please write your script before you make your film because we made the one very basic mistake of writing the script after we started like creating our footage, which is why like if I were to make a film today, it would be done in a very different way, but it's a, it was everything was a learning experience, right? It's your first yeah. but your first film you're always going to be lost. Um so we come back and we have all this information and then we go right how are we going to do this? So we decide that Uh, Surya and I decide right. Okay, this film is going to be a short film. We're going to do three case studies, and the researchers, three girls, look at us and they literally laugh in our faces and they go, "Ha, you want to try and collect the history of Indian politics and the BJP and the Hindutva culture in three case studies? Are you dumb? Like you really think that you can grasp everything in three case studies?" and we were like well we can't make it any longer than this like we can't make a 3 hour documentary a we're not trained for it b we don't have the budget for it and c nobody's going to watch it and so then they were like okay how do we do this and that is how we decided our three case studies of gori lankesh rohit vamala and asfa bana because each of these case studies represent the three pillars of democracy that have been yeah. systematically broken down in india you have the media journalism gori lankesh who was our initial point rohit vamala education and asfa bano who represented the judici the judiciary 
And Can I just pause yeah. you in terms of the, the letter, in terms of what Rohit wrote and the end of it? Oh my God. When he writes those two points mm-hmm. of one where he says prescribe and two, like um, in regards to the rope, I was like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was a lot. I still remember that trip we took to Hyderabad. Um, and we met his best friend, the guy who we interviewed. Yeah. Uh, and we went, we walked around the university. We saw his room, um, and we were just sat there talking to him. I remember walking in um, to this guy's room who we interviewed, and his entire wall was just a huge mural of of Rohit Bhamila and his face, and and like so much art, and it was like a <laughs> grind, and it was incredible. And it, I remember that room; it was stuffy hot, like it was boiling hot and it was this is on our second trip to India when we had our case studies decided and we knew who we were speaking to um, yeah and, it, and by then we also hired a DOP and a sound guy and so it was me and Suri and I our DOP um, Tejasvi and our sound guy Raj and the four of us are just sitting there on these plastic chairs with two very small handheld cameras and a mic um, and I, I'm, ask, I'm asking the questions and it was like stuffy hot like we were like like beads literally sweat beads and mosquitoes and everything was a very uncomfortable experience but when he started to talk it was like all of that just disappeared because he was you could feel his hurt in every word he said and his anger at the system but also his helplessness and how he's like I can be angry at the system but the system is rigged against me so my anger is wasted and that it's so depressing to listen to that. It's so depressing to sit down in front of a person who is angry, who is extremely intelligent, who knows exactly what they're talking about and still have full knowledge of the fact that no matter what he says, nobody's going to listen. It's so depressing. So that film was the whole process of making that film over the year and a half that we made it was really draining emotionally physically mentally because just trying to wrap your head around these concepts and walking into an interview going well obviously this is right and obviously this is wrong and talking to someone like the professor of Benares University who looked me in my eyes and was and, and said the things he said and you just have to sit there and put on your best journalist face and not cringe and then go home and try and like write it into a script it's it's really heavy it's heavy it's heavy um question have you now understood the caste system in terms of india i have this question to ask you and challenge me on this when i was looking at asifa bano's case and there were protests being um not protests rallies proing the fact to defend the guy and given him um, extended security and basically protect him and then listening to the court system and how being like the lawyers can only proceed with law in the courtroom not on the road and then things on how they handle the funeral and then Hindutva the mindset of like oh my god there's so many questions that I have to ask and like I'm trying to dilute it which is where do you think people get the mindset of purism when the system is rigged against you. So let's say, for ex- uh, example, if you're at the lowest of the castes, 
Dalit, am I uh, correct in saying that? Pronouncing it right? Dalit. Dalit. And BJP party is all about helping. And there's a purist mentality of Hinduism being the only religion, if, if I'm correct. In, because that's my understanding of what I got from it. But then at the same time, if Hinduism at the forefront and the caste system comes from Hinduism and the low caste, it doesn't help you in any way. How is it that people support that? Okay, um, I'm going to answer this very carefully because no, I don't understand the caste system completely. I'm nowhere near educated enough to be able to give you a, a, a nearly an, an answer that you can just take as Bible. You know, everything yeah. I say comes from my experience, short experience. And, and there are people who you should read and people who you should talk to who will know a lot, lot more about this than I will. But from what I understand... Um, Hinduism and the Hindu Hindutva is not Hinduism, and that's something very important that I learned at the at, at, whilst making the film. Hindutva does not represent Hinduism. Hinduism is a very very pure religion. Hinduism, the Vedas, the philosophy, the history of it, like I said through what I learned in Kathak, the mythology is very progressive. The Hindutva, like every religion has, is the extremist strand of it. Every religion has extremists. The Hindutva are the extremists of Hinduism. So it's very important not to muddy the two. Anybody who is a Hindu isn't automatically someone who supports the Hindutva. And it's very important to like create that distinct distinction. I'm a Hindu. Um, but I'm not somebody who supports the Hindutva. The Hindutva are a community of people, a large community of people who have always existed, but have recently come to the forefront because their voices have been validated by the ruling party who have similar opinions and who's, who don't criminalize their opinions and who don't shut them down. So they feel like, okay, well, if I speak up about this and if I create... If I, if I spread hate crime with my Hindutva ideology, nothing will happen to me because I will be supported like in all of these cases. Hindutva is a community of people who believe that Hinduism is the only, Hinduism should be the presiding religion in India. They don't believe in secularism. They don't believe um, in, in shared spaces. You know, they believe in, uh, they, they very strongly believe in the caste system. They believe in purity of religion, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, it is very important to distinguish that the caste system, whilst inextricably linked to the religion and to the culture and to the traditions, is also something that has been upheld by very wrong communities. So the caste system has been upheld by extremist communities. And don't get me wrong, a lot of people said, a lot of people, everyday people, will subconsciously partake in the, in the wrong nature of the caste system. And the biggest example of that that I can come to my head right now is the way um, in India, and not just in India, all over the world, Indians handle um, domestic help. The cleaners that come into their homes who are cleaning professionals, but the way that yeah. they treat them, because often their domestic help comes from a different caste, the way that they have separate cutlery, separate cups. Um, separate toilets. Separate toilets, separate, all of these things. And that, yeah. you'll find that in the most progressive of households, you know, someone who, who will, who may as well be a professor of something, 
will will have a cleaner who they don't allow to use the same cutlery as them. So the caste system and upholding that caste system is something that is so ingrained within our traditions and cultures, not in our religion. So you have to separate what is ingrained in our religion and what is ingrained in our traditions. Certain yeah. traditions need to be developed and certain traditions should change, but that's not a reflection on the religion. What the, the religion doesn't promote the caste system. It is our regressive mindset and the patriarchy and the way that the society has developed that has upheld the caste system. Traditionally, the caste system was born because they felt like certain communities of people weren't allowed to be educated in Sanskrit. But now, you know, okay, for example, uh, and the best analogy of how old school regressive traditions are upheld because of the way that the stories are being told and the way that like, it's such an ingrained belief is um, something I've been talking about since I was like 16 years old. Uh, women who menstruate, women on their periods in India. Um, I'm not even going to say in temples, in India. Full stop. Being taught that, okay, traditionally in India, there was not very good sanitation. You know, mm. women used to do a lot of the household work. There was not um, a place to clean up properly. You know, they used to walk miles and miles and miles to get water. They used to work slave all day in the kitchen. So when they were on their period, that week was a chance for them to have a break. They didn't have to go into the kitchen and do all the work. You know, they were allowed to rest. You know, they didn't have to go and walk miles and miles and miles to pick up water. They didn't have to cook for the family. They were allowed to rest. And also they weren't, they didn't have the right sanitation. Um, so it was seen as something that was dirty because they didn't have the right sanitation. Yeah. Times have changed. We have the right sanitation now. And, and that's not how our society works. Yet, because of women being separated on their period back then, we are now seen as impure because that, the way that that theory has been taken through the years is that no, uh, women aren't allowed to do this. Women aren't allowed to touch. Like uh, they, they didn't have to rest. They were banned from entering holy places in the house. Yes, they were banned from entering yeah. holy places in the house because of the lack of sanitation, which is why they were seen as dirty. Yes, I agree that they were looked down upon, but what I'm trying to explain is why that has, why it's still upheld today. And the fact yeah. that it's still upheld today is wrong. And that is my analogy for the caste system. So it's the wrong reasons have yeah. continued regressive traditions so traditions that at one point existed for certain reasons for all the wrong reasons and because of patriarchy and the way that you know stories are told by men and women are looked down upon all these stories have still been upheld but for all the wrong reasons so we still live with tr ingrained regressive traditions like treating domestic helpers in the way that they do, uh, like treating women on their period in certain ways because of all the wrong reasons and because of the reasons the men of the world have told us, which are yeah. fundamentally against women um, and against anybody who they deem lower. All right, to switch gears from something so, so, so deep, we're gonna go and play some game. The games are called...
child, play with rice. Rapid fire round. I'll do three sections and we'll do them like really, really quickly and get them out. And then, yeah, boom. All right. The first section is called, if you were the following, what would you be? So if I was like, if you were a color, what would you be? And then you name a color. All right. And you have to be really quick. Okay, cool. If you were a movie, what would the title of that movie be? Uh, Crocodile in a Chiffon, sorry. <laughs> what would the title song be? Uh, the title song would be uh, Saloni Ki Jawani. Uh, sing it. Five, six, seven, eight. My name is Saloni, Saloni Ki Jawani. I'm too smart for you. <laughs> who would star in it? Um, who would star in it? Uh, who would play me? Radhika Apte. Rastika Dugal. Radhika Apte. Oh, okay, Radhika. Okay, what would the storyline be? Five, four, three, two, one. The storyline would be about a culturally confused girl with an identity crisis who uh, becomes a major rebel and then becomes prime minister. Oh, I like this. Um, well, if you were a drink, what would you be? Uh, espresso martini. If you were a food, what would you be? If I was a food, I would be, I was about to say fried chicken, but I'm vegetarian now. Stuffed mushrooms. Mm. No, Stuffed mushrooms. truffle fries. Mm. Oh, truffle. Oh, oh, you need to go home slice, by the way, and you need to have the mushroom pizza. It has truffle oil on it. I swear to God, you will never, and you're a foodie, you would I'm love it. Foodie. Home slice, okay. mushroom pizza. Um, if you were a holiday destination, what would you be? Bali. If you were a flower, what would you be? White rose. If you were a color, what would you be? Maroon. And lastly, if you were a clothing item, what would you be? Uh, a sports bra. I am so sorry to interrupt again, but we were just doing the section which is called Sip a Chai and Play with Rai. And in the game sections of the show, there are some segments which are visual, so it would not have made sense on podcast form. So if you would like to watch any of the visuals <laughs> or the video, simply go to YouTube and just type in Chai with Rai to find the relevant episode. Also, I will link everything in the bio or the description below. But without further ado, let's get back to the end of the show. And I ask this of every uh, every guest. If you take away the support of your family, your conviction of who you are as a person, your physical appearance, a lot of things that make you who you are today and make you want to continue on the path that you are, regardless of that photography, rapping, balls, <laughs> um, singing, no, Kathak, and all of these things. If you take all of that away and your friends and things like that, would you still continue to do what you do? No. Because everything that you mentioned, the way I feel about myself, the support of my parents, the people around me um, are what make me who I am and are what gave me the confidence to embark on a path that was very, very, very not the mainstream. Um, and so I don't think, I think I would be a very different person if you take all those things away. Um, I wouldn't be me. So I don't know what I would be doing. But maybe I would be, maybe I wouldn't be. But I feel like I can't be who I am without all of those aspects. Yeah. And it is all of those aspects which lead you to do what you do. For anybody who doesn't have that, who doesn't have faith in themselves, confidence, support of family, friends, continuously struggle and, you know, have a very wavering sort of mind, fluctuating in terms of their physical appearance, what words of advice would you give quickly to them? I don't think I'm in a um, place of authority to be giving any advice, but I feel like support 
if you're privileged enough to get it from your family, you know, you're yeah. you're so lucky. If you're not, then um, <coughs> support also comes from within. And all of this is so much easier said than done because I have so many low moments where I have, I feel like despite the support, I have no faith in myself. But if you do have moments where you feel like you lack support or you lack confidence in yourself, in those moments, I I don't want to say like push to be the best who you want to be and you know strive to strive for your goals and all that because in that moment you can't like all of these things sound like useless fluffy words all i want to say is in that moment allow yourself to just be who you want to be in that moment so mm-hmm. if you feel like you want to paint but yeah. you wake up one monday and you think you know what today i don't want to paint i feel really shit about my painting i feel like i don't have any support it's okay to feel that way you know yeah. i feel like we put a lot of pressure on waking up every day motivated dedicated ready to kill but that's not realistic that's not how the human mind works that's not how human nature is you know you're going to have low days you're going to have high days and unless you embrace a low day for what it is and 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 really allow yourself to just feel it you're never yeah. going to appreciate the high days so what i'm going to say is if you're feeling low and if you're feeling like you're not feeling your best <coughs> don't beat yourself up about not feeling your best yeah. it's okay to not feel your best that's all i'm going to say is that like yeah you're not feeling your best that's fine cool you don't all have right, to quickly. try and feel better quickly 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 Um words you would say to your mirror self today if you saw yourself looked in the mirror today what would you say Stop worrying about your skin Stop worrying about your skin Cool Peaks and valleys Peaks and valleys is a question I ask everybody peak is a highest point of your personal professional life what was it what lesson you learned from it a valley is a low point of your personal professional life what was it what lesson you learned from it go Okay a peak would be uh oh my god a peak would be um winning a competition that i had no idea or had no expectation that i would win and something yes that one um <laughs> uh i think something i've learned from that is i went into that competition thinking you know what win lose screw it i just want to have fun and i think yeah. the reason i won is because i had fun so one of the biggest lessons is have fun have fun stop taking everything so seriously yeah. um and a low point i think currently I think currently right now through the pandemic has been a very low point um in in not just my career anybody who pursues an artistic form um <laughs> it's a low point because there seems the future is very feels very bleak you don't really yeah. know what you're doing your form has your body is dilapidated your fitness is bad blah, 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 blah. and so <laughs> i hope a lesson i'm learning from that is exactly what i just said in the previous answer which is don't beat yourself up about feeling low it's okay like you don't have to wake up and feel perfect all the time um what does the future hold what's the give what's the ultimate thing and then you'll be like i am <clears throat> usually at this point people talk about upcoming projects or things that they envision i think for me the future has now become something to strive towards and only do things which make me happy so even if it means i open a no genuinely it sounds really fluffy but even no, like even if it means i stop dancing uh and open a cafe if that yeah. makes me happy then i'm going to do that like i realized we are too small in the world for anything we do to 
matter that much. So just focus on like keeping yourself and the people around you happy. And that's it. Like if I can do that, if I can keep myself happy and my family and my loved ones happy, then I'm good. That's what I want from life. Aww. And lastly, what is your favorite type of cha? Adrak. Adrak cha. Obviously. There's no other cha. Well, everyone, that brings us to an end, and I hope you enjoyed that. I want to say a massive thank you to the guests for joining me, for being so generous with their time, and for being so open. As well, I want to say a massive thank you to you for listening and supporting. Make sure to comment, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed that episode. Share it with your uncle, your auntie, your neighbor, your coworker, that random person you like to dial on for a booty call. You know the one I mean. But really, your support means a lot, and it helps the show and the message of it grow. As well, you can find the pre-recorded live version on YouTube. Simply type in "Chai with Rai" to find the relevant episode's video. I will pop all of the information down, such as the guest's social media, their website, alongside that in the bio in the description. Make sure to show all of that some love too. That's it for now. Until the next episode, I wish you all love and light. Breathe in, breathe out. Namaskar. <laughs> Which means now I must go again. Copyright it. Until the next time, everyone, stay curious.